text, Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 to 32. From Jesus. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I don't need to tell you this is a bit of a powder keg text. Uh, There are a number of reasons why this is emotionally charged. One is that many of us have either been divorced or have been touched by divorce. Uh, There are those here who have been wounded by adultery. There are those who who are probably the ones who perpetrated adultery. Uh, There are those who, as children, suffered through watching mom and dad break up and get a divorce. So it is uh, a heavy emotional text. Um, And on this topic, we each come with our own baggage. We each come with our own opinions. And more importantly, and what makes this tricky today, is many of us come with deeply held convictions when it comes to the topic of marriage and divorce. I was part of a church. Isla was there as well. Years ago, and this was before my time, but it was part of the lore of of this church, the history of this church, that it had been the merger of two congregations, so suddenly a much larger congregation. They got a well-known preacher to come in and be their pulpit minister, and uh, one Sunday he chose to preach a very harsh message on divorce and remarriage, and that Sunday happened to be his very first Easter Sunday at that church. Like, what are you thinking, man? And they tell us, I wasn't there, but they tell us that a couple hundred people never came back. It just was not what they were looking for on Easter, and they didn't come back. So it is a bit of a powder keg. And while many of us have strong views, it is important, and probably because of that, that we recognize that we don't want to simply live in the echo chamber of our own minds and experiences and opinions, but we are here to actually hear Jesus, to hear our Lord and Savior, what does he have to say about this uh, before we jump off into our questions and into our ideas? Uh, Now, the one who taught us these things, the one whose words we read a few moments ago, he is the Son of God, he is Almighty, he is Creator, he is God in human flesh. Uh, He is the one and only who gave himself for us because we are sinners, because we fall short, and he is one who actually knows us better than we know ourselves. And so we need to hear his words. We need to do more than that. We need to take them to heart. But yeah, it's tricky when we've got our own experiences and convictions. So let's pray. We need your help, Lord Jesus. We do. We ask that we will actually hear your voice, Good Shepherd, that we will lean in and listen to your words this morning, that you will give us ears to hear. We want to know the truth and we want to be set free by the truth. May your spirit who lives in us guide us and shape within us our thinking, our beliefs, yeah, when it comes to even marriage and divorce. So we pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. So we've been talking about living your best life, which I think sounds good. Like everyone, sure, I want to live my best life. So why is it 
that so many live their mediocre life or live in a, in a status quo that frankly hasn't been working well for them for years, but yet there they are and seem content with it. Um, when it comes to marriage, some of us will choose to marry or already have chosen to marry. Some of us will at some point. I saw a smiling, engaged couple this morning. They've made the choice to pursue that uh, life together. Some of us will choose to remain single, which, by the way, I think it's important to point out, Jesus chose that. John the Baptist chose that. The Apostle Paul chose that. So that is a good and honorable choice as well to remain single. But if you choose to marry, and I don't know that this is a spoiler alert because I think you probably know this already, whether you are or aren't married, uh, it's going to be challenging, yeah? Even though you chose the one person on planet earth that I'm going to marry this person, we're going to do this together, you chose that person, it's still going to be challenging and there are going to be tough and difficult times ahead. There will be, uh, even if there's no adultery or unfaithfulness, there are going to be clashes. There are going to be disagreements. Let's call them just what they are, fights about all sorts of things from career paths to where you will live, fights over sex, fights over debt or how you're going to use your money, fights over parenting, fights over who's going to get up in the middle of the night and change those diapers. Um, there are going to be a lot of stressors and struggles in even the best marriage. So when it comes to marriage, we just come in acknowledging that. That at some point, that beautiful day where families and friends were gathered and there was a, a beautiful ceremony and a nice reception and maybe a DJ and some great food and these courageous vows were said in front of all of these witnesses. At some point, years later, it may get a little monotonous. It may get a little routine at some point. The wedding album is going to collect dust somewhere in some closet. And oftentimes, a husband or wife will think at that point, is this all there is? I thought it would be different. I thought it would be better somehow. And so Jesus has told us throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and he's going to tell us today, essentially, don't set the bar too low. He's going to tell us, reach for your best life. Stay tuned into God. Don't go on spiritual airplane mode. Keep seeking to adjust yourself according to the best life that the Lord has for you. Like when he talked about last week, adultery, he said, hey, you've heard it said before, don't commit adultery. Uh, he said, that bar is too low. Deal with the lust and the desires in your heart. That's best life living. Uh, when it comes to human relationships, you've heard it before, don't commit murder. Uh, you talk about setting the bar low. Hey, man, I haven't murdered you yet, you know. He said we can move that bar up a little bit and let's talk about our anger. And today he's going to do much the same, raising the bar on marriage. In a world that accepts divorce as totally normal, even kind of to be expected when things aren't going well, he pushes God's people to honor the marriage covenant and push through difficulties and grow stronger and stronger. Now, the fact that we have experiences that are very different in this room, the fact that we have opinions on divorce, same thing with his original audience, 
there by the Sea of Galilee on that day. Jews were clashing over the same issues and there were different interpretations about, in particular, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. Okay? So pretty much your different camps would argue over different words in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. So here's a clip from that ancient text in the Torah. It says chapter 27, but that's actually chapter 24. A man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, sends her from his house. So they are now divorced. Jesus' original audience would have been very familiar with two big schools of thought, different rabbinical schools when it came to this verse. And actually there was a third emerging school on this. So the first one, let's talk about what Rabbi Shammai had to say. Very influential, conservative Torah scholar in the first century. Everybody knew the teachings of Shammai. He focused in that verse Deuteronomy 24.1, he focused on the word indecent. And he said, God is talking about adultery. Okay? God is talking about sexual immorality there. And so the indecent thing was that. Therefore, if that occurred, divorce should follow from that and only from that according to Shammai. Then there was Hillel. Hillel had a much less strict view of this stuff, much less rigid interpretation of this verse from Deuteronomy. And he said, uh, he focused on the word something, right? Something in that verse. Uh, If you find something, kind of like anything that you don't like in that spouse, then you are free to divorce. Don't take my word for it. He actually, Hillel actually used the example of burning dinner. She burns the dinner, you are free to divorce. Talk about low bar on marriage, there it is. Uh, A little bit later, Akiva, Rabbi Akiva came along late first century, and he keyed in on the word displeasing, if she displeases you. And his interpretation was, get this, if you marry her and you become attracted to another person, then you have found your original wife displeasing and you are free to go with the upgrade. You are free to go with the better option. This is the the environment that Jesus is speaking into and it's just kind of good to know the context and they weren't all that different, were they, in the way they thought about marriage and divorce than we are today. So, Before we get back to what the Lord had to say about divorce, just notice that in all three of these rabbinic traditions, there was one reason that they all agreed on when it came to getting a divorce. If there's adultery, then divorce is going to be accepted and in fact, in those traditions, basically expected, all right? So Jesus comes along and he speaks into, into this milieu, this, this kind of understanding of the day, and he's going to expound on his teaching in that very same book of Matthew in chapter 19. So let's pay attention once again to Jesus and what he says about marriage and divorce. He gets asked a question, Matthew 19, the Pharisees came up to him. They tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for 
any cause. He, Jesus, answered, have you not read? Don't you know your Bible? Haven't you read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh? Haven't you heard that, guys? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let man not separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command, interesting choice of words, why then did, jo- did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of the hardness of heart, your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But, so that was Moses, but from the beginning, it was not so. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Uh, the disciples, so now we got the disciples who are listening in all, all of this. They said to him, if such is the case of a man and his wife, it's better not to marry. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it's given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. There are eunuchs who have been made that way by men. There are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. So, let's talk about this. Jesus versus these majority views, what everybody thought uh, in that day and time. We're going to contrast these. So, most folks wanted to know, under what circumstances can I get a divorce? Like, my wife did this. Can I get a divorce? My husband did this. Can I get a divorce? Most people wanted to know, when can I get a divorce? Jesus was interested in, okay, guys, what makes a marriage work? It's going to be tough. How can we hold on? How can we turn this thing around? And we see that in the text that we've read. Um, so they just ask him, right? In verse 19, the Pharisees say, so can, can somebody get a divorce for any reason? Uh, and Jesus goes back what? To the building blocks. Back to the beginning. He tells them, verse 4, God is the one who came up with marriage. Marriage was his idea, not your idea. Bringing one family into existence out of two families. Um, Verse 6, God is the glue of marriage, what God has put together. And then he says in verse 6, well, sex. He says, uh, God made it so that you'd become one flesh uh, and build intimacy together in the marriage relationship. So, People were going around looking for exceptions, looking for justifications, looking for excuses. Can I get divorced? Uh, Can my friend over here get divorced? And Jesus turns them back to, you know, marriage is God's idea from the beginning. It wasn't supposed to end. It was supposed to be a permanent thing. It's a covenant, all right? Um, The next point of contrast, most folks believe that Moses commanded divorce in certain circumstances. Jesus corrected it like adultery. Jesus corrected it by saying he allowed it in the case uh, of adultery, but he was just making a concession uh, because of your hard-heartedness, because of your sinfulness. Um, you, You noticed that probably when we read that. Well, Moses commanded this. Jesus changed it. He said, Moses allowed it. Uh, So, God never commanded divorce. It wasn't part of his plan. It wasn't part of his design from the beginning. Um, It came about from the hardness of our hearts. Verse 8. 
Finally, the contrast, uh, there was a view, you probably caught this in that day, uh, that divorce was no big deal. Just, you know, find another person, start over, try again. Jesus saw it as a covenant-breaking violation of God's original intentions from the beginning, verses 8 and 9. So, how was Jesus different from the rabbis, especially that first one we talked about, Shammai, that said, adultery is the only reason you should get a divorce. How did Jesus differ? Well, he didn't think even in adultery that you should get a divorce. Even then, it's not the option that God prefers for his people. Then, even then, if it happens, it's only happening because of the hardness of our hearts which sounds like a good place to kind of put, press the pause button and just say, you've got your experiences, you know people, Isla and I know people, some of our best friends. I'm thinking of two couples right now who years ago, each of these couples went through an adultery, a failure. One was the wife cheated, another couple we know, it was the man that cheated. Both of these couples went through this incredibly agonizing experience of betrayal on the part of one of them. And both of them chose, after much prayer and conversation and probably yelling, they chose the path of forgiveness. They chose to remain together, and it was hard, but they are both at places today where their marriages are much, much stronger and healthier than they ever were before. I met with another couple earlier this year, and they can't yet plant the flag and declare victory. Uh, he cheated on her. We were in my office. There were tears. There were loud voices, but they also are choosing the way of forgiveness and trying to find their way through to the other side instead of simply throwing it away. These three couples have one thing in common. They are disciples of Christ, and they would not be choosing the path of staying together except for that relationship they have with Jesus and their belief that that covenant is worth keeping. So, as disciples, before we walk away from Jesus and we react based on our experiences, our hurts, or those of the people that we love and care about, we need to hear Jesus, right? We need to listen to our Savior plainly and clearly. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. He is God Almighty. He is the co-creator of marriage. And so let's get real. Jesus was so anti-divorce. He was so ferociously anti-divorce that you saw it. In verse 10, his own disciples, after they heard him provide his position, are scratching their heads and saying, well, maybe it's better that nobody gets married. And Jesus, instead of backpedaling, instead of like, well, let me soften my position a little bit. You know what he said? He said, yeah, you're right. Some people probably just need to not get married. That was that whole bit about the eunuchs. People just choose to remain single and be sexually pure. Maybe that's a better choice, Jesus said, to a lot of people. Um, so yeah, he was pretty serious about this idea of us holding our marriages together. Um, if we're not going to honor God by keeping that covenant, then it's better to just not get married. So here's what broke Jesus' heart. People making these vows, 
God joining two lives together and then people just breaking apart what God had put together. There's an element of playing God in that. Well, God put us together, but yeah, yeah, I think we're going to call it. You know, I think we're going to go ahead and break this apart. Um, Now, I know there are so many complexities. There are so many nuances, and you can dig into this, and there are arguments about this word and that word in the original language or whatever. Um, There are today, just like there were in Jesus' day, and we all know situations, and you may have personally lived through a situation where there was just no way to keep that marriage together. There was just no way to continue as husband and wife. We all know situations like that. What I want to do, though, is instead of looking for reasons or excuses or times when it's okay to get a divorce, let's see what Jesus said because he seems to key in on how do we hold it together when it's tough. And he gives us some super helpful, like practical things to hold on to, those of us who are married. One of them is simply that my marriage should be the highest priority relationship, human relationship that I have. Uh, Number one on my death chart is my relationship to my wife. It is above all other relationships. It takes priority, even above the relationship with my mom and my dad. Take his word for it. Verse 5 of chapter 19, Jesus said, A man shall what? Shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So there's a a depth of relationship there that I never had with mom or dad, this union, this intimacy that I have with my spouse. Um, And he's quoting from Genesis, of course, uh, but that is just making very clear to us that priority relationship is that one that we have with our spouse. Uh, I can't tell you how many couples that we have talked to over the years who've gotten into trouble because marriage has gotten tough They've had a major fight, a major disagreement, or something happened, and one of them runs to mom on the phone or literally gets in the car and drives over there. They didn't really leave, right? They're still cleaving to mom and dad, and that relationship has not become a second-tier relationship. It's still right there, and it causes all sorts of problems, Um, You know, so we hold fast, Jesus says, to our spouse. Uh, More than the kids, more than the parents, the spouse is, according to Jesus, the primary relationship that we have if we are married. Uh, That doesn't mean I don't love my mom and dad. That doesn't mean as a disciple, I don't care for my parents. I don't honor father and mother. It does mean there, there has to be a leaving and cleaving. There has to be a, like I said, top of the depth chart now is my wife. I love you, mom. I love you, dad. I love you, David. I love you, Claudia. But you guys are somewhere down on the depth chart now that I'm married. Another thing Jesus says that's very practical uh, that is easy to miss here, Jesus talks about our sex life. That is something in our marriage that is supposed to hold us together. It's a bond that we share with our spouse that we are not supposed to share with anyone else, and it helps us grow closer together. The two, he says in verse 5, shall become one flesh. We're not talking about handshakes or fist bumps here. This is a Hebrew euphemism, one flesh for, yeah, you know, um, 
Now, there are going to be forces that draw us apart, that pull us apart. That is going to happen. And so we have to be intentional about finding ways to close the gap, you know, with our spouses. Putting it in the negative, Jesus said there in verse 6, let man not separate. So let me not do anything to pull us apart. But then in the positive, he said, let us hold fast to our spouse. So look for ways, not only not to pull us apart, but ways to to draw us together to hold fast. Now, one other, I think this may be the most helpful thing of all. I did not turn it into a bullet point for you, but I think it's so helpful. Jesus reminds us that we are not in this alone, that we have an incredible help. God is part of the marriage if we're disciples of Christ. We have this other third partner in this relationship. We are not alone. He is part of us. He joined us, verse 6, Jesus says, in marriage. And think about how helpful that is to know that we can call on God when things get tough. We can ask God for a little more patience, for a little more forgiveness, for a little more passion, because he is part of our union. He created the concept of marriage, and then he put us together, and he is with us, and God is for us. So the bottom line from Jesus' teaching this morning is that marriage is sacred. Uh, the Lord desires for it to be permanent, uh, this bond, this covenant of love between two people. That is the ideal. That is what we work for. That is what we fight for. That is what we as disciples are committed to. But we also know this. Uh, some of us have been through a torturous, agonizing divorce that is just where you are today. Um, one very specific thing. We've got our, our, um, our divorce care ministry kicking up. I think it's September the 7th. Uh, it's been going on a long time here at Preston Crest, helping people heal, helping people get back to a new and healthy normal who have, who have gone through divorce. Uh, what we know is when, when we walked down the aisle, it was never what we intended that we would break up, that we would get a divorce. But some of you, that's where you find yourself today. You may be on a second or a third marriage even. And you can't go back. You can't get in a time machine and undo the things that happened in the past. What you can do is decide today, today, and moving forward that you, because of the lordship of Jesus in your life, because of his reign in your life, all aspects of your life, today and moving forward, you will uphold God's plan for your marriage. And in case you're wondering, what should churches do with people who are divorced? Here goes. Churches should always, always, always speak the truth. We shouldn't lower the bar. And churches should always, always, always Share grace and mercy. Remember what John said? That Moses came with the law. Jesus came with grace and truth. Not grace or truth. We are about both of those. And in case you're wondering, well, how, how would Jesus deal with a divorced person? I'm glad you asked that because we have a great example of that 
in his ministry. In John chapter 4, he dealt with someone who was in, well, not her first, second, third, fourth, or fifth marriage. She had had five failed marriages. She came to him and she was currently living with a guy. And so we look at this and we ask, okay, how did Jesus treat her? They had this conversation that Jesus struck up. Did, they, did Jesus start the conversation in John 4 so he could tell her, you really need to go back to your last husband, or number four, or number three, or number two, or husband number one? He did not tell her that. He did not condemn her. He did not shame her. What he did was treat her with respect, with love, with grace. In fact, in verse 14, he offered to her living waters. And in verse 14, he extended to her an offer of eternal life. That is how he treated someone who had been through five failed marriages. Grace and truth. <laughs>